Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Wow, you're awake. I'm not sure I like that. Um, I'll see what I can do about putting you back to sleep. Uh, for the, today, we're launching a four-part series. So this week and next week, and then two weeks uh, around Father's Day, we're going to take a look at this incredible, awesome role that God has entrusted to us, uh, developing faith in the next generation. Now, I always cringe a little bit at talking about something like this because I know immediately when I launch into that, there are people in the room like me whose kids are grown and gone. And when you talk about a parenting series, immediately you click into, I think I can check out. You know, nice sunny day next week. Maybe you just won't even come to the service, you know, because your kids are grown and gone. But let me just assure you that in this series, there are going to be all kinds of things you can think about, even if your kids are gone or you don't have kids. There's going to be transferable principles that will work in any relationship where you're trying to help someone develop faith. So hang in there with me in the series, if you will. In the book of Ephesians, Paul pens these words in Ephesians 6. He says, first, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Now, just a pause here. When I was a kid, I didn't hear this as a promise in the churches I grew up in it. I heard it as more of a threat. Um, because it reads like this, if you honor your father and mother, things are going to go well for you and you'll have a long life on the earth. If you don't, I'm just saying. It's kind of how I heard it from my folks, which says a lot about them. Um, And then Paul goes on and he flips now from the children's side of things to the parents' side of things. And actually that word could be translated not just fathers, but parents. Parents, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. That whole idea of raising our kids to know and love God (laughs) seems like a pretty easy concept when our kids are preschoolers, doesn't it? Two, three, four years old. It's really simple. And even though our two kids are in their 30s now, I can remember what they were like when they were little. My kids have changed a lot. I don't see what's funny about that. I haven't changed a bit. Um, They have changed. You know, in those little years when they were young, uh, they simply adopted our faith. Courtney and Chris prayed because we prayed. They actually prayed exactly like we prayed. They went to church because we went to church. Following Jesus for them was simple. It was normal. It was natural, largely because we used this method of discipline. <laughs> it was just easy when they were little. None of you knew, none of you knew us as a family in those days. You only know our family as it exists today like in this picture. And we are grateful that our kids, their spouses, our two grandkids, love God deeply. And what you don't know about our family is the 20 to 25 years in between those pictures. You don't know our family story. And 
I don't want to be overly dramatic, but there were some pretty rough patches in there for both of our kids. And I'll talk about those throughout this series with their permission. And I'll talk about some of it today. I think every parent in this room who loves God has this desire for their kids. We want to help our kids discover a faith in God that is both compelling and life-giving for them. That's what I think Paul was talking about in Ephesians. We want to help our kids, those beautiful, adorable preschoolers who love God with this simplistic faith, grow up, make that transition from being those preschoolers to being adults who love and follow God by their own choice. But there's some rough years in between. What we want is for the faith that we show them to become a faith that sticks in their life. But here's the scary part. Not just scary for us, but scary for them. Over the last 20 to 30 years, their faith isn't sticking at a rate that anybody is going to be happy with. Nearly 50% of kids who grow up in the church today, by grow up in the church, I mean they come to church regularly. They are a part of an active youth group. By any standard you would use to measure, these are solid kids. Nearly 50% of them head off to college and abandon their faith. Now, they don't intend to do that. That's not a goal of theirs when they leave home. They don't plan on walking away from God. It's just what happens. And if you follow those same college graduates as they head off and settle down and get married and get a house, get a couple of kids... The statistics don't improve. Only about a quarter of those young people, when they hit their late 20s and early 30s, only about a quarter of them actually come back to the faith they had when they were in high school. The statistics are scary enough that as parents, as grandparents, as family and friends, we can't simply ignore the statistics and hope that it won't happen to our kids. What is desperately needed for our kids to have a sticky faith is for the church and parents to be more intentional, to partner together in developing that faith in our kids. Now, let me define what I mean by the term sticky faith before we move on. First, I think sticky faith is something that's both internal and external in our kids' lives. It's a part of our kids' inner Thoughts and emotions, it's deeply embedded within them, so much that it becomes externalized in their choices and their actions. Their faith shows up in the daily decisions that they make. Faith is practical. Second, well, before I move on, the psalmist connected those two things for us when he said in Psalm 119, I have hidden God's word in my heart. There's that inner part. So what? So that I might not sin against you. Faith showing up in everyday choices. Second, sticky faith is both personal and communal. We have to help our kids not only develop this personal walk with God that's very vibrant and alive, but help them find a community of peers that have the same faith. 
that will support them, that will encourage them, that will give them hope. It's the same thing we need as adults for our faith to thrive. Third, sticky faith is both mature and maturing. We are all a work in process, right? We will always be. There's always stuff we're going to have to work on in our walk with God. But that doesn't mean that our kids' faith should be weak and shallow. Our kids should have a faith that not only shows up in their actions, but a faith that they're capable of talking about rationally and without fear when they leave our home. Developing a sticky faith is tough work. It really is. It's a lot easier. <laughs> it's a lot easier for the church staff and volunteers to look at parents and go, look, we've only got your kids 90 minutes a week. So it's your job to do this. We're just kind of touching base with them. So it's real easy from a church standpoint to go, when kids don't have a sticky faith, it's the parents' fault. From a parent's standpoint, and I've been there, it's a whole lot easier to take what some authors call as a dry-cleaning mentality towards faith development in our kids. Here's how that plays out. It's a lot easier as a parent to drop our kids off at church and pick them up 90 minutes later and hope that they're cleaned, pressed, and sanitized and ready to go for the week. Neither one of those is going to work. we got to work together. There is no magic formula. There is no silver bullet. I told somebody after first service, I'm glad there wasn't a silver bullet because there are points in my kids growing up I know where I would have used it. There's no easy solution to passing faith on to our kids. I'll be honest. It can be messy, hard work. You've got a 12, 14, 16-year-old and faith turns into discussions and turns into debates and turns into arguments with your kids about God and about church, that's hard work, right? Yeah, I'm the only one. Been there. Survived it. I've got the scars I can show you. But when you have those breakthroughs with your kids and they get it, there's very little in life that's more rewarding. So, how do we lay a faith foundation for our kids? Let's talk really practically about this. When it comes to sticky faith, the hard truth is, we will get what we are. That's the first thing that we need to settle. That little bit of insight comes from Christian Smith, who I've talked about before in messages. He is a professor and Uh, a sociologist at Notre Dame University. He did a study of about 3,000 young people from various faiths and their families in the United States. And his bottom line conclusion of this study was that the primary influence on a child's faith trajectory is not their friends, it's not their teachers, it's not media, it's us as parents. We don't think we have an influence on our kids, but they watch us. And they learn from us. And I've seen it hundreds of times from experience. (laughs) I had to laugh this week as I thought about this in my own life and my kids watching me. Um, Courtney and Chris were four and five years old. Our daughter is the oldest. Uh, I was home on a Saturday morning. They were four and five. And Connie was gone running some errands. And uh, I was upstairs reading. The kids were downstairs. They were playing. And I heard them starting to yell 
at each other. So I'm the dad. I did what dads do. I ignored it. You with me, guys? There's no bloodshed. There's no parts coming off of bodies. I ignored it. You know, they'll resolve it. So I let it go long enough. It escalated enough. I went, it's probably time to go downstairs. So I went downstairs to see what was going on. And I got downstairs. I could see them. They couldn't see me. And I looked, and Courtney was standing on a table that was about this high, had a wooden spoon in her hand, was waving it at Chris and yelling. And I, and I went, hey, 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 what's going on? And I was probably not this calm. But I, I said, what is going on? Well, Courtney just stopped, and she turned, and she was really calm. She looked at me, she said, it's okay, Dad, we're just playing house. I asked the question then that I really wished I hadn't when I got the answer. I said, um, just out of curiosity, which one are you? Well, I'm the dad, of course. <laughs> Tucked my tail between my legs, did the walk of shame, back upstairs. Said, I'll be up there if you need me. Maybe the harder better way to say this is we will get what our kids think we are. Not what we think we are. Our kids will imitate us, how we live our life, how we live our faith. So the first challenge is to take a hard look at ourselves. What is the, what is the vitality of your faith right now? The Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. How are you doing on that one? Nobody gets it perfect. How are you doing? Is your faith strong? Is it growing? Is it something that is worth imitating? Because they will at whatever state your faith is in. As we help our kids develop a faith foundation, not only do we want to live a life that's worth imitating, but we also want to anchor our kids' faith in trust, not obedience. I hope that catches you off guard, because it did me when I first began to think about it. Let me say it again. We want to anchor their faith in trust, not in obedience. Most kids are taught that being a Christian is about do's and don'ts. So there's a long list that they get. Do go to church. Do go to youth group and do it as often as possible. Do read your Bible. Do pray. Give money. Share your faith. Do get good grades. Do respect people who are older than you. Do not, under any circumstances, watch the wrong movies. Do not do drugs. Do not drink. Do not talk back or swear. Do not hang out with the wrong crowd. And do not... Go to Cancun for spring break. (laughs) Unless you go with your parents. And if you do, do not do what your parents do in Cancun on spring break. There's just this long list that goes on and on and on of what we're supposed to do and not do that somehow develops. Now, there is nothing wrong with some do's and don'ts. There are commands we're supposed to follow in the Bible. In fact, John writes, in fact, this is love for God 
to keep his command. So if they're based in truth, that's okay. But I think what happens in our minds, and especially in young minds that are developing, is that obedience becomes a way of staying in someone's good graces, in their favor. It's how we earn approval. And so for kids with faith, it transfers into their relationship with God. Yes, I know God loves me, but he'll love me more if I do this. He'll love me more if I don't do this. We don't want to anchor their faith in that kind of a mentality. Because inevitably, nobody can check all the boxes in that kind of a faith. Our kids will struggle to, and they will fail at living that kind of a Christian life. Whatever picture they've created in their mind of the do's and don'ts, they won't match it. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when they will fail. And if being a good Christian is about list-keeping, there's no room for grace. None. And Jesus died to free us from that kind of legalistic living. We want to anchor our kids in trusting God. We obey God because he loves us. God has forgiven us. We live by grace. God wants what's best for us. We follow him because of that. Even when what he asks us to do seems harsh and restrictive. (laughs) And I have never met a 14-year-old who didn't think that what God was asking was harsh and restrictive. Yes, we obey Jesus, but it's out of love for him. It's not in order to earn anything from him because it's all given to us by grace. We don't obey God out of fear because there is no fear in love. And that's not just semantics. This plays a huge role in not only faith development, but in retaining our faith, especially in kids. And here's why. Because it helps our kids understand and hang on to this last truth that Jesus is bigger than any mistake or failure we make in our life. Now that sounds so simple, but it is so important. Because many of those kids, many of that 50% that walk away from their faith, walk away because they feel like there is no hope of forgiveness. When they make a mistake, the guilt they feel causes them to run away from their faith just when they need it most. But if they can learn that faith is a journey, and that journey is filled with mistakes as well as successes, then they understand the process of learning to trust and follow God. Without a doubt, the most challenging stretch for me and for Connie as a parent, was when Courtney was in junior high and high school, specifically her 8th, ninth, and 10th grade years. Our move to Chicago uprooted her from a strong group of friends that were a good influence in her life. And she ended up settling in with a group of friends here that were not a good influence in her life. And it led her into making some really bad choices. Actually, 
some of her choices were disastrous. And it seemed like for those three years that we were at odds with her on everything, everything in her life. I think the lowest point for me was one hot, muggy summer evening when Courtney and I were in an argument and our tempers flared. Connie was in the room. She was calmer. She was upset, but she was much calmer than I was. While our tempers were flaring, we were arguing. Courtney screamed at me. It was about one in the morning. And a scream travels really far through an open window at one in the morning. Within a few minutes, our doorbell rang. And there were police at my front door. Because I hunt, I have guns in the house. They're locked in a safe. They're secure. But because I have guns in the house, the Carroll Stream Police Department felt it was prudent to send three police cruisers and six officers with their lights blazing to my home at 1.30 in the morning. I don't know which neighbor called the police, but I know that all of them were looking out their windows to see what was going on at the pastor's house. (laughs) I don't know why anybody who gets a visit from the police at 1.30 in the morning is barefoot, wearing blue jeans, and a white t-shirt. But I was. I had my own personal episode of Cops that night. It was months. It felt like decades before we made any progress with Courtney. But when she finally started to come around after that night, she broke. And at one point, she said to us, I don't know if I can ever be forgiven for what I've done. She was on her way to being one of those 50% at 16 years old. She didn't know if God would forgive her. She didn't think we could forgive her for what she had put us through for three years. It took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of conversations, a lot of prayer, a lot of people other than us and us speaking into her life. But Courtney got there. She eventually got to the place where she understood and she still understands that Jesus can handle anything we feel, anything we do, all of our mistakes, 
and all of our flaws. The same thing holds true in your family. Jesus can handle our smallest accidental mistakes as well as our greatest intentional sins. Because if Jesus can't handle your kid's rebellion or mine, then we need a new Jesus. If Jesus can't handle this father blowing up at his daughter at one in the morning, we need a new Jesus. But he can. He can. He can handle our sins. He can handle our struggles. And so much more. Parenting is the toughest role than I've ever been handed in my life. It's still not a cakewalk, even though my kids are in their 30s. And as you sit here today, you may be tired and you may be feeling defeated as a parent. Whether you're a mom or a dad or a stepmom or a stepdad or a grandparent, please know this this morning. Jesus is bigger than your mistakes, too. There are going to be days when every one of us, whether we're a grandparent or a parent, don't do the things we want to do. We are not the parent that we wanted to be in every situation. And in those moments... I hope that truth comes to mind that Jesus is bigger than the mistakes that we make. And I hope that you'll cling to that and that Jesus will help us all learn from those mistakes and not be imprisoned by our past.